seated. Wonderful to see some first-time uh, folks that I, I know for sure here this morning. Uh, we've got a first right there back on your lap, I believe, a first-time attender, and uh, congratulations, and so good to see you. How many, how many weeks now? One month old. And that, that's how old my hair is. My hair is about one month old. At least I look like a one month old. But uh, congratulations. Also good to see a world traveler back with us this morning. Uh, Brother Alex has been wandering the world, left his wife, left his family. And uh, no, appreciate Brother Alex. And uh, so good to have him home just for a few more days, though, right? You're heading back here pretty soon. Is that right? Well, three more weeks. Oh, longer than I thought. That's awesome. But uh, good to see Alex back. And, uh, good to see many first-time attenders here this morning. Thanks for being with us. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, a bit of a, a unique message, a uh, unique thought in Scripture, but I believe it will begin a very unique way, but I believe it will be very helpful for us. So I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8, if you will, this morning. I want to talk to you about five men and five trees, five men. And five trees. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 20 through through 25. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him. Every time I read about a blind man, I think of a, a dear fellow that used to come to Cornerstone years ago. And I'll never forget one of our church picnics. How many of you remember our church picnic when John was? Uh, playing horseshoes, and uh, John, blind man, won a game of horseshoes. Uh, that was great. Uh, but the Bible says a blind man came unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, by the way, most of us would not have wanted Jesus to heal us. We just all don't do that. I'll just stay blind. But he put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw aught. And here's the answer of the blind man. And he, the blind man, looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you to work. And use your word in our lives and our hearts this morning. Lord, I believe that you have a message that is vital for every person here this morning. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth mightily. Lord, I pray you give me the words to speak. Lord, that you would take from my mind those things that would take away from your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up. Lord, work in hearts this morning. Lord, I pray if there be one here that knows you not as Savior, Lord, I pray today they would see that you are the answer. You are the Savior of the world. You are the one who loved them enough to come and die and be buried and raise again to pay their sin debt. And Lord, I thank you that salvation is by grace through faith alone, not of works, not of a church, not of religion. Lord, I pray that that would be received this morning. Lord, would you work in our lives and our hearts. May we see your purpose for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 
The Bible tells us that this man who was blind, Jesus spit in his eyes. And By the way, that's a pretty unusual way to heal somebody. I love the fact that Jesus didn't fit the social norms. Why? Because he was not normal. He was supernatural. The very God. God with us, Emmanuel. But after he spit in his eyes, he asked the man, can you see now? And the man said, I, I can't see clearly. I had someone the other day say to me, You're, remind me that I wasn't 20 years old anymore. Uh, my body reminds me of that every morning. But somebody said to me, well, you're not 20 years old anymore. And I said, well, I still look 20 years old. I said, as long as you squint your eyes really, really tight. But the man said, I, I can't see plainly. He said, I look. And he said, I can't tell if it's a man walking or a tree. There's some blurriness. I don't have clarity of vision. The Bible tells us after that that Jesus asked him again, put his hands upon his eyes. And then he said, how about now? And the Bible says of this man who had been blind, this man who could not see, this man who originally said, I've got a little vision, but it's so blurry I can't tell what it is. It says, and he saw every man clearly. I can't heal your vision this morning. I can't work a miracle of what you can see. Only God can do that. But what I would like to ask God to do as we open the word of God this morning is I would like for him and his spirit to make very obvious and very clear and very plain these men associated with these five trees we're going to talk about this morning. I would like you and me to see them and to let God give us a very clear vision that we can understand his purpose. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis in chapter number 3 and verse number 8. The Bible tells us there, and they, by the way, that they is speaking of Adam and Eve. I won't go into this. This is not the message this morning, but I want to mention it so we have an understanding of principle of doctrine here. The Bible says when God created man and God created Adam, uh, and then he created Eve because it's, he said that it's not good that man be alone. He created to help me for him. God is the one that created marriage. And God said that they should be one flesh. Uh, here God speaks about Adam and Eve together as a singular, uh, as a unit. But God's speaking of Adam and Eve here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Number one this morning, I want to talk to you about Adam. Adam, a sinful man behind a tree. God came to Adam after he created him and said, Adam, I've made everything for you. It's all for you. He said, Adam, you can have of every tree of the garden. I've created all creation for you. Matter of fact, I, I created Eve for you as a helpmeet. Imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like. Can I tell you what I believe? There was no snow there. Amen. There was no parking bans in Eden. No road construction. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful place. Perfect place. A provided place. As God said to Adam, Adam, it's all yours. Everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did Adam do? He took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, men, don't, don't say, oh, no, it's all Eve. Eve started it all. If we look in the New Testament, we find that God blames Adam. The Bible says sin comes to the world, uh, that one man sinned, Adam sinned. But Adam disobeyed God. Adam found himself in a condition that every person ever born finds himself in. Adam found himself a sinner. Adam realized that he had transgressed. He had crossed over the boundary of God's law. He'd gone out of bounds in sin. By the way, Adam and his supposed resourcefulness said, I'm going to cover my nakedness. The Bible said he made an apron of fig leaves. I created uh, the apron that you see there. I hope you like my designing. Uh, it was the best apron I could make. But as ridiculous as that apron, no more ridiculous than Adam's, thinking he could cover his sin. Adam was trying to hide. Adam was in the trees of the garden, and he's back there, and he's trying to cover his nakedness, and he's hiding behind the trees thinking God could not see him. Can I tell you, God saw him. God knew exactly what he had done. By the way, God saw the very moment that Adam took of that fruit and disobeyed his God. God saw the moment that Adam sinned. God knew. God knew. Dear friend, can I tell you that in Adam, as we see Adam hiding in the trees of the garden, as we see Adam, a man, a sinner, trying to cover and hide his sin, all of us stand in the same condition. We all stand as sinners before holy God. We all stand imperfect. Only God is sinless. I bought a, one new vehicle in my whole life. I bought a 1995 Ford Ranger. If I ever buy another new vehicle, I want someone to have me taken to the Alberta Hospital and have me committed. 
But I, I bought one new vehicle, brand new. I was a young guy. This was 1995. I was, have to do the math, how old was I? I was 20 years old. And I had my brand new truck, brand new. I mean, brand new. A couple of months after I had it, it was brand new. I got in an accident. Now, it went in. It got repaired. But it wasn't new anymore. It just wasn't the same. Dear friend, can I tell you that all of us, before a holy God, we stand imperfect. We stand unfulfilled, incomplete, uncovered. Maybe not before the world. The world would say, oh, that's a good person. The world would say, oh, he's such a good man or she's such a good lady, such a good wife, such a good husband, such a good parent, such a good employee. And those may be true statements. But can I tell you that we also stand uncovered before holy God. And you can try to hide. And I can try to hide. I can try to craft an apron, a ridiculous apron to cover my sinfulness. I could try to use the materials of good works. I could try to use the materials of religion. I could craft together and sew together with the materials of influence and giving and wealth and goodness. But the Bible says that my righteousness are as filthy rags before him. How ridiculous as we try to hold up to cover our sin. I want you to see Adam this morning because I want you to look in the mirror. I want us all to look in that mirror, the mirror of the Word of God. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth me to repentance. I want us to see who we are before a holy God. Number two, would you take your Bibles with me and turn to another passage? Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke in chapter 19. I'd like you to look with me at the first six verses in the gospel of Luke. Luke 19, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus make haste and come down, for today I must eat. I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. We see number two, I want us to see a clear vision of a little man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a seeking man up in a tree. The Bible says that he was a publican and he was rich. Can I tell you how the publicans got rich? They got rich by 
illegally stealing from others. They were hated people. Zacchaeus was a small man of stature, but his bank account was big. His friend list was probably shorter than he was. Zacchaeus had a lot of regrets. Zacchaeus knew who he was. Zacchaeus knew that he couldn't go to the crowd and say, Hey, would you let me ahead? Can I go ahead to see Jesus? He knew that if he did that, they'd probably punch him. <laughs> he knew that probably there'd be there people there he stole money from. Probably people there he cheated. He had no hope. But he wanted to see Jesus. He was seeking. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He was curious. The Bible says he climbed up in a sycamore tree. And I'm sure that he was hoping nobody saw him. He just wanted to see Jesus. He was curious. As Jesus walked by, the Bible says that Jesus looked up. And he saw Zacchaeus. He had a conversation with that man that had hoped nobody would see him. He had a conversation with the man who was seeking him. I want you this morning to see past the tree. I want you to look and see the man that Jesus saw. The man who was probably hated in this community. A man who had very few friends. A man who, although he had a large bank account, was empty inside. A man who was looking. He was searching. It may be this morning that you, like Zacchaeus, are searching. You may not have the same life as Zacchaeus. You may have lots of friends, and you may have a very little bank account. But you may share with Zacchaeus that most important aspect that you're wondering, you're curious, who, who is this Jesus? What, what's the Bible all about? What, what is this gospel? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is God real? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure many of us would have to say, I've asked those questions, preacher. Many of us would have to say, I've laid in bed at night and I've pondered. Why am I here? What's the point? That was Zacchaeus. Our kids sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But can I tell you, he was more than a wee little man. He was a man who was curious about Jesus Christ. It was not, though, and I want you to understand this according to Scripture, I want you to have a very clear vision of this man, this publican named Zacchaeus. It was not the curiosity of Zacchaeus that was his salvation. It was because Zacchaeus met Jesus Christ. It was his relationship with Jesus, not his searching, that saved him. Dear friend, if you're here this morning and you're curious about Christ, you're questioning like Zacchaeus, man, I, 
I just want to see. I want to. I don't necessarily want to be down with the crowd. I just kind of want to watch from a distance. Can I tell you what you need? You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So no, no, I'm, I, that's not why I'm here. That's not the purpose. When Zacchaeus climbed that tree, he never dreamed that that same day Jesus would be at his home. But he was. And it was a relationship with Jesus Christ that changed his life forever. Dear friend, we see Adam, a man who was a sinner, all of us, like Adam, born in sin. Adam tried to cover his sin. Adam tried to hide his sin. It was not hideable from God. We see Zacchaeus. We see him, a man who climbed up in a tree because he was curious about Jesus Christ. He was searching. He was looking. He wanted to find out. Number three, I want you to turn in the Gospels with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. What a wonderful, wonderful verse or wonderful chapter, chapter 1 of John. It's in chapter 1 that we read about the Word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us. By the way, that Word is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 47 and 48, the Bible said Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I want you to look back at verse number 45. It says, Philip findeth Nathanael. Where was he? Under fig tree. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him who Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. We see here number three this morning. We see Nathaniel. Nathaniel, a sincere man. A sincere man under a tree. When he came to Jesus, Jesus said, I, I know who you are. A man in whom there's no guile. You're sincere. He said, well, how do you know that? How did you see me? And Jesus said, oh, I, I saw you when you were under the tree. The reason we went back and read those first two verses is that I want you to understand it was not Nathaniel being sincere that caused him to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was Nathaniel being willing to see Jesus for who he was. There are many folks in our world who are sincere like Nathaniel was. Many folks who are religious. I believe Nathaniel was a religious man. He was a devout man. He was a sincere man. 
There are many in our world today who are sincere, but sincerely wrong. I want us this morning to see not the fig tree, but I want you to see that man, Nathaniel. A man who would follow Jesus. A man who would be one of the disciples. A man who before he came to Christ was sincere. But a man who followed the words of Philip. As the Bible tells us there in that verse, In verse 46, Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Come and see. As you look at Nathaniel, as you see him, as Jesus saw him that day, as you see him sincere, good heart, good motive. Wanting to do the right thing. May you understand that the sincerity of that man, Nathaniel, was not enough. Rather, he needed to go and see Jesus. There are many folks in the world that I commend. I see all they do, and I, I have many times I've talked to folks. I, th I think of our, uh, the Edmonton Police Force here, the EPS who called me the other night about her building and very thank, very thankless job. Many times I've dealt with our the Edmonton police here and I every time I have interaction with them, I'll, I always say thank you. Thank you for the job you're doing. Now before we saw a pastor, the police aren't perfect. They sure aren't. Neither are you. But I appreciate their sacrifice and dedication. There are many in our world that are sincere. Many what we would say good people. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God doesn't see good people and bad people. We're all sinners in God's sight. But we look at people and say, well, that's a good person. That's a, that's a sincere person. Nathaniel's sincerity was not his key. The key was he was willing to come and see Jesus. This morning, maybe you would say, Pastor, I'm a little bit like that. I'm sincere. I, I, I really want to do the right thing. I, I want to I follow what's true. I've got sincerity in my heart. Whatever Nathaniel was following and thinking, it was shaken up and disturbed when Philip said, Hey, I found him. The Savior of the world. Can I tell you this morning, no matter what your belief, no matter what is sincere in your heart, and I believe it could be very sincere, can I tell you that I found the Savior of the world? It's not in a religion. The Savior of the world is not a church, it's not a pastor, it's not a preacher. It's not a teacher. The Savior of the world is Jesus Christ. Amen. And as Philip said, can I say to you, come. Come check him out. Come find out for yourself that Jesus is the answer. Speaking of Jesus, could I get you to turn in your Bibles with me? 
to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Galatians 3 tells us in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Just as that blind man was given vision and allowed to see and finally to see clearly. This morning I would beg you, would you look this morning and would you see Jesus? Would you see him a savior man who would hang on a tree. And the Bible said, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus, who is he? God with us. Who is he? God in the flesh. Who is he? Emmanuel. Who is he? The King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is he? The word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Who is he? Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Who is he? The perfect Son of God who came and became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You understand Jesus was not born that first Christmas morning. He always has been and always will be. But 2,000 years ago, God supernaturally became flesh to dwell amongst us. By the way, he did not come understanding he would be worshipped. He deserved worship. That's what he deserved. But that's not what he got. He did not come for those to sing his praises. The angels would sing at the birth. But the world would never sing his praises. Rather, he came to be despised, rejected of men. He came to become sin for you and for me. He who was perfect and holy. I want you this morning, would you see very plainly that God himself, we're not talking about a, just a prophet, Brother Ahmad spent many years a follower of Islam and he believed in Jesus. He believed in Esau. He believed he was a prophet. Can I tell you that he is way more than a prophet? Amen. There are many here today that may believe in Jesus, a, a historical Jesus, a man who was, you would call him a leader, you would call him a teacher, a martyr even. But I want you to see him plainly this morning. He's more than that. God himself, who was willing to be cursed for you. God himself, who said, I'll hang on a tree, a cruel tree. 
the most horrible form of torment that man had yet devised 2,000 years ago. I will hang on that cross on that tree for the sin of all the world. Would you see him this morning hanging on that cross? Would you understand this morning that he hung there for your sin and for mine? Would you see that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us because he desired to be your Savior? On that cross, he cried out these words, It is Can I tell you who fulfilled salvation? Jesus Christ. By the way, there's nothing left to do. There's no good works left for you to add to it. It's finished. There's no religion for you left to marry to it. It's finished. It was done by Jesus Christ on that cross. And by the way, I, I don't want to leave, leave him there because he did not stay there. Yes, Jesus went to a tree. He hung up on a tree, but dear friend, do not, we do not worship a God upon a tree. For they took him off of that tree after he died, after he shed his blood for you and me, and they placed him in a tomb. And for three days and three nights, the Lord of glory lay in that deep, dark tomb. The devil Partied and said, I've done it. I've got the victory. I will be like God. I will exalt my throne above the heavens. That's what the devil wants to do. By the way, the devil doesn't want to be anti-God. The devil wants to be God. But on that third morning, the stone rolled away. And that Savior, the God, who hung upon that tree, walked out of that tomb. And eventually would ascend back into heaven. And the one who hung on the tree of Calvary for you and for me, who now is alive forevermore, sits on the right hand of God the Father in heaven. The Bible says that about Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Dear friend, would you see him this morning? Would you hear him knocking on your heart's door? Would you believe who he is, the Son of God? Would you believe that he came, that he died, that he was buried and rose again? That's the gospel. Would you simply place your faith in him? Lastly, could I get you to turn to the book of Psalms with me quickly? The very first Psalm, Psalm 1. I want you to look with me at the first three verses. Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he med meditate day and night. 
And notice verse 3 with me. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit and his seeds and his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Just as we have seen those other men, just as you saw Adam hiding amongst the trees of the garden, just as you saw little Zacchaeus climbing up in that sycamore tree to see Jesus Christ searching, hungry to know the truth, just as you saw Nathaniel, a sincere man, and just this morning as you saw Jesus, would you look with me here in Psalm 1, and would you see you and me, you and me, a saved man, a saved woman. The Bible says we're to be like a tree. Like a tree. That man in the Gospels who was healed said, I, I, my vision's a little blurry. I, I can't tell if it's a man walking or if it's a tree. It's all kind of blurs together. I want us to come full circle this morning. And I want you to realize that as we saw the difference between the two, I want us to see how we, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, how we're to be like a tree. God uses the comparison here in the book of Psalms. We see the first word of that passage says blessed. Blessed. A word in our vernacular today that we could use as happy. Happy. Blessed is the man. And God begins to tell us some things about this man or woman that becomes like a tree. And I want to pause just for a few moments this morning to talk to those of you who would say, Pastor, I've seen Jesus as my Savior. I, I believed in him. I'm trusting him. I know that I've got a relationship with him. It's not about religion. It's not about anything I've done. It's I've trusted him by grace through faith alone. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm a child of God. This morning, would you see with me just for a couple of moments how you and I, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, how we can become like the tree we read about here in Psalm. It says, number one, the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Dear friend, if I'm to be like a tree, if you and I are to be like that tree by the rivers of water, we need to be careful of a couple of things here. Number one, where we go. And number two, in this part of the verse, what we listen to. That's our environment. The area where we place ourselves. I grew up on a farm. I understand farming. I, I know that there's a good place to plant and there's a bad place to plant. I know that depending on the crop, there's different needs that that crop has. There's different type of soil it needs. Uh, there's different amount of uh, sunlight that it needs. There's a different 
uh, time period of maturation that plant needs to produce fruit. And in doing so, a farmer, a successful farmer, is careful about how and where and when he plants. Christian, can I tell you that you and I need to be careful about how and where and when we plant ourselves, where we allow ourselves to be. God says that we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The other side of that coin, we should walk in the counsel of the godly. In other words, we should spend time with other believers. We should, we should receive our counsel from those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, from those who have the same, are going the same direction and have the same purpose we do. As we continue there in Psalm 1, it says, Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Can I tell you how we can be like a tree that God wants us to be? It's when we don't block the way of others coming to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you when we have a bad testimony, Christian? By the way, my testimony, the way I live, what I do, it has no bearing on my eternal salvation. So, Pastor, how can you say that? Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm not saved by works, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Well, Pastor, I don't agree with that. You don't disagree with me. You disagree with the Bible. My salvation is based on him, not on me. But my testimony, those good works, by the way, the Bible goes on in that same passage to say that we were created unto good works. That same passage tells me that my testimony is vital not for my salvation, but for the salvation of others. And Brother Chummy worked at a warehouse. I can't imagine Brother Chummy working in a warehouse, but if he did. And he's the warehouse pushing buttons all day, you know, in his chair, drinking coffee, pushing buttons. And Brother Chummy's a believer, I think, if he, if he was. And for the illustration purposes, he said, we're going to say he is. But now, if every day at work, at the warehouse, pushing buttons, drinking coffee, Brother Chummy speaks horribly of his Savior and lives a wicked lifestyle in front of those he works with. And then he says to the guy working beside of him, who's also pushing a button and drinking coffee, say, hey, I'm a Christian. The guy's going to go, yeah, and I'm a zebra. Uh, I don't believe you. I, I have no interest in what you have. He's going to stand in the way of someone coming to Christ. It was Mahatma Gandhi who said, I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. Christian, how can we be like a tree planted by the rivers of water? Don't block the way of others coming to Christ. In other words, have a testimony that lines up with this book. The Bible goes on there in chapter 1 of Psalm 1. Or setteth in the seat of the scornful. It's very easy in our culture to drift into that seat. By the way, that's an easy seat to sit in. We see it in the sports world. 
You know, we have very few folks who, who are good enough at sports to be at a top level to play uh, competitively, professionally. But you know what happens with guys like me? Who I, I couldn't play chess professionally, Brother Maude. I am not an athlete. Uh, I may be a professional eater, but that's it. I can, sit, I can sit on my couch or my recliner, and I can watch a football team playing football, and I can sit there, ah, oh, you idiot. What? You didn't... You, you should have pulled him off the line. Why would you throw that pass? Why would you run like that? No, I can't do any of that stuff. But we yell at those on the screen. We, we mock and talk about those who are doing what we can't do as if we know how to do it. Can I tell you that that happens spiritually as well? We begin to be scornful. We begin to look at those who serve Christ and begin to criticize and begin to say, hey, I could do that better. Why are they like that? Why aren't they perfect like I am? That's a pretty easy seat to sit in. It's a lot harder to get off of the seat and to get on the field and to play for Christ. But if I'm going to be like a tree, I've got to stay out of that seat. That seat of the scornful, the Bible goes on to say, but his delight is in all the Lord. Dear friend, what do you enjoy? Oh, I enjoy this. Or we could, a long list of things. Here's the question, the real question, though. Do you enjoy this book? So, ah, it's, it's all right. Quick illustration. When I was a young college student, I started dating a young girl named Carrie Starling. She was four foot eleven and a half. <laughs> Tiny little auburn blonde, very quiet. I'm not sure what happened to her, but she used to be very quiet. <laughs> uh, she still is. I worked very long hours. I worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week, my secular job. I worked 20, 30 hours a week on a volunteer basis for a church. I was going to Bible college. You start doing the math, you'll find out that my schedule was kind of full. I didn't see the girl that I had started dating very often. Many times it would be as we passed in the hall, hello, and that was it. Maybe I'd see her in a few more days. Many times when we were dating. When I was out on Saturday working in ministry for our local church, as I was visiting in homes and sharing the gospel and arranging folks that we could pick up for church on our bus on Sunday, I'd come back to the college at the end of a long day. After a long week of work, a long week of college classes, a long week of long weekend of ministry. I'd be weary. Very weary. I'd walk in the door of the college. I had to be back by eleven o'clock, and many times I'd be pulling in and running to the door about ten fifty-eight as I'd walk through the door. And I'd be so tired I could not wait to go to bed. Knowing that I had to be up at four AM to go pick up a bus 
for Sunday morning. And I would rush to my room, try to get to my room to get to sleep. And many times on my way down, just as I was get to the stairway that would lead down to the turn to go to the men's dorms, I'd look on the, before the top, the top stair. And I'd see an envelope. And it would say, Brian Rice. I was tired. I mean, real tired. I mean, falling asleep driving tired. I mean, my body was shutting down tired. But when I saw a card there, I didn't rush and go to bed. I grabbed the card and I rushed to my room. And I'd open that card because I knew what it was. It was a letter from the girl that I loved. I'd sit on the edge of my bed. And although I was tired, and although I wanted so badly to go to sleep, and I wanted more to read the words that she had written to me. On more than one occasion, my alarm going off in the morning would find me slumped over, still sitting on my bed where I had fallen asleep reading that card or that letter. Dear friend, can I tell you the God of creation, the God that spoke everything to existence, the God who said, let there be light, wrote these words for you Amen. and for me. He loves you. He loves me. He wants us to love his word. He wants us to love his book and meditate it on day and night. And God said, when we understand that, we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We'll be fruitful. We'll, we'll have longevity. And the Bible says, whatsoever we do will prosper. God wants you, Christian, to have a successful, prosperous life as we serve him. And God gives us a picture here in Psalm 1 of how to do that. Before we close this morning, can I ask you not just to see these five men, not just to have the clarity to look at them. Would you look at yourself? Not your spouse, not your friend, not the person sitting next to you. Or would you look at yourself? And ask yourself, first of all, this question. Am I ready to stand before a holy God? Or do I stand holding a ridiculous fig leaf? Maybe of religion. Maybe of good works. Maybe of a a good reputation in the community. But can I tell you, whatever it is you hold up before your sin, nothing will cover it except the shed blood of Jesus Christ Amen. on Calvary. Amen. Praise the Lord. Dear friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, can I tell you that that Savior man, the God man who hung up on the tree of Calvary, says to you this morning, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be born again today. 
Dear friend, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you allow him to make you like that tree? Would you find exactly God's purpose for your life? Would you love his book, his love letter to you? And would you allow him to work and do only what God can do? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, thank you. Lord, for this powerful, wonderful book. This book that is alive. This book that is the very word of God. Preserved in our tongue today. The perfect, holy word of God. Lord, I thank you that you've given it to us as our, your love letter to me. Lord, may we stop. May we stop avoiding it. May we stop counting it but a small thing. May it become valuable. May it become precious to us. May we think about it. Lord, I pray this morning that there be one here that knows you're not a Savior. Lord, I pray they would see themselves as Adam saw himself a sinner in front of a holy God. Lord, I thank you that even now they have a curiosity as Zacchaeus did. And Lord, may be very sincere. But Lord, that sincerity, that curiosity is not enough. Lord, I pray that they would come and see, as Philip said. That they would believe the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they would trust you and you alone. Lord, I pray for Christians this morning that decisions would be made here. Lord, to avoid the ungodly. To avoid the seed of the scornful. Decisions, Lord, to avoid wrong counselors. Lord, decisions to love this book, to meditate therein. Lord, that we may see your blessing like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Lord, would you work in every heart and every decision made. May you be glorified this morning. In your precious name we pray and ask it all. Amen. Would you